Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bytes podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation about the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-w-changehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 66, with the title, Unhiding Oneself at Work. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Kat Kimmon. Kat describes himself as someone who teaches people to write job postings to remove bias and get the right people to apply. When I asked Kat to describe their superpower, they said that they never forget a face and they ask great questions. Hello, Kat. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. We've never met in person, I don't think, but we've chatted a bit online. We've done a few webinars together and I've been really looking forward to just having a chat with no no other agenda than, than having a chat for a podcast. So really great. So Kat. We were talking just now about hiding and unhiding oneself at work. So what does that mean to you? You know, it's interesting. I spend so much time talking about job postings, but on the other side of a job posting is somebody who has to live with their job, right? And I think about this from two perspectives, the side of me that had to exist in corporate America and the side of me that exists now as an entrepreneur and someone who's traveling the country. And honestly, I spent most of my life hiding, having this deep knowing of myself, whether it was coming out as a lesbian many years ago or realizing that I was trans later in life and and being able to put words to a feeling I always had. I don't want anyone to think I was like reading a book one day. Interesting. That could be that. Like this is definitely something that all of the signs were there, but I never had language for it because I grew up in a military family. And so military family, it was against the rules to be gay. Trans was not even a conversation. And that put me and really conditioned me to believe that there were going to be two versions of myself, that I would get to go to work and be one person. And I wouldn't have to talk about my personal life. I could just hide all my personal things and then go home at night and be whatever I wanted to be and then show up the next day and be the best person at work and the best person at home. And the truth is that if there's a gap between who you think you are at work and who you think you are at home, there's often a gap in success too. You're never going to be the best in your career if you're pretending to be something else. And I did that. And I will never forget my very first corporate job and having someone ask me about a date I had that night. And I said I was going on a date with someone named Stacy. And they immediately said, oh, who is he? What is like? What is he like? And it made it so obvious to me that whether they had an issue with me being gay or not, they assumed I wasn't and that I shouldn't be. And from that day forward, it kind of put this lens on my mind that I had to pretend until I knew it was safe. 
fast forward many moons later and I couldn't hide anymore. I cut off my long curly hair. I had curls down to my shoulders. I wore pink shirts. I did everything to fit in because I cared more about my career than being who I was. And when I started my own business, I realized that I couldn't keep pretending about who I was being and still create connection. I'm a writer. I want to connect with people. I want to tell stories. That's that's what I love about the work I get to do every day. And yes, job postings are stories. They're not just junk content for the internet. And the more I told the story, the more I realized how much it enabled the success of my business. It enabled the success that I wanted, which was really just to feel like I mattered. <laughs> you know, I think that's what we all want. I think we all worry if we're doing it right. If, if who we are is enough to get what we need out of life and Ultimately, I think that in hiding myself, it it created a very good business case in my mind that who I am doesn't matter and that's not real or true. And I've spent the last, what had us running into each other is that I feel like I've come out over and over again, but I've also talked a lot about being out at work. I say all of this with great privilege, right? The The privilege of running my own business. So there's no boss to fire me for being trans. I write the policy. I decide how this is going down. I can fire someone for misgendering me if I want to. Like I have all the power in the world, but that's also opened my eyes to the great privilege that is and, and what it feels like for other people. And so that's been kind of the addition to my business, the new thing that I've done. Because for so much of my career, I didn't want to be the gay person. I wanted to be good. And now I acknowledge that I can be good and I can be good in everything that I am. And that's really, I think, probably what brought me to this conversation with you. Awesome. I'm just listening to you there. There's there's so much you were saying there that is so relatable and, uh, yeah, so so insightful. And can I just pick up on you said you're traveling the country. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know, I've seen some of your postings on LinkedIn and Facebook. Just explain what do you mean by traveling the country? How did that start? I was going to say, people are like, you think I like went for a trip? No, I, I took on a much bigger journey. So the backstory behind it is that my mom got really sick a few years ago. Uh, she has rheumatoid arthritis. She was in the military for 25 years, retired, um, saved up every single day off. I remember she had six months of vacation days when she retired. She retired six months early because she had never once taken time. And within two years, she was 100% disabled. Uh, her arthritis, may, rheumatoid arthritis makes your bones very sharp and brittle. And what happened is she was pulling up her sheets one night and ripped every single tendon in both of her hands. And I realized that we can save every penny, every minute, and it will not change our ability to enjoy it at the end. There's no right time to live your life. Now is the only answer. And I had lived my whole life with this rigor around this, then that, this, this working and then this living. And I realized that they both have to happen at the same time. And in the years of therapy and coaching and everything else it took to convince me that I was actually allowed to do this, because, you know, this is like breaking a lot of rules. I bought a van, I converted it into an RV, and I've been traveling the country for the last year, running my business, speaking, training, uh, teaching people how to write job postings from everywhere in the country, because remote means remote. You can live anywhere. And I've done it. It just means a, a, a 
an internet connection from somewhere, doesn't it? Over three G, five G satellite. If you can hook up to the to the net, then you're in, aren't you? Yeah, but on the same hand, and I know you know this feeling, right? It also means I experience a lot of different places. And it's another dimension of learning how to live out loud because I can't just hide in my apartment. And you don't even realize how much you hide in your apartment until you can't hide in your apartment. Or I guess you can, but there's wheels and windows and you have to move it every once in a while. <laughs> the fridge isn't very big. You won't last long if you're hungry. <laughs> You have to go shopping eventually, and uh, you, you can't get an easy delivery because they're not sure where you'll be. <laughs> Any delivery. You do not have an address. No. Second tree past the water tap or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inter- you learn a lot of things that you can't do without an address, which is a whole other <sighs> dimension of just realization. And, and again, like you, you have to live presently and with people. Yeah. There's... There's not a lot of separation you can do in this lifestyle. When we were, when we were chatting before we went live, you were talking about your realization of need for an anchor point or something to hang on to that because you're traveling, you're mobile, you're moving around, you're constantly changing your location, stability's not there. You realize combining that with your gender transition or gender identity, the flux of that you found that that this your psychological safety or mental health is being impacted by not having this kind of anchor, this cramp on the side of the mountain that you can hang on to. You know, I think it's twofold, right? It's the burnout that comes from constant decision making, not just for physical well-being. Do I have food? Do I have water? But this second dimension of am I safe here? Which You don't have to do when you're going from your house to a store and back and you can go to the bathroom before you leave. You can, you know, wait until you get home, right? There are just a lot of different decisions that I didn't have to make before. And it didn't really hit me until I went to somewhere where people don't give you weird looks. Uh, And so I was just outside of New York City. And I caught myself running out of a bathroom. I was washing my hands and I heard someone flush and, and I caught myself like slamming the sink and, and trying to like dry my hands very quickly and run. And the person didn't react to me at all. And what I realized is that it it's the exhaustion of fear over time. And I can't even imagine what it's like for trans people who are worried about what their employer is seeing. They're worried about their job stability. They're worried about coming out to other people, how that might feel. Because as much as I I know that I've experienced this over time, we don't think about it a lot. And we mm. don't think about what it means when your survival is on the line, not just to go to the bathroom and not just for like literal survival, but your survival and your your paycheck, right? The the things that help you survive every day. For people living, say, in the UK, and we think we got it pretty tough as trans people here. Um, just can you explain? Because you, you're living in the US. If you don't mind me saying, you're trans, masculine, non-binary, assigned female at birth, and your your identification, your ID driver, license, passport, social security, all these is currently still in your assigned female at birth name. Yeah. So 
you were you were saying to me before we went live about the the risk you have of being in the wrong space is that you could be arrested or you worse you could be experience violence by people trying to evict you or or, or take you know, law into their own hands. So that's something we don't really have in the UK. I know people are frightened sometimes and they're cautious about bathrooms, but not to the extent you described, I don't think. Yeah, I I personally have been pulled out of bathrooms by bouncers. I have um, had people's husbands wait outside of the bathroom. And I know people who, and I, and I've read enough headlines to add fear, f- add fuel to the fear of people who were literally beaten up outside of bathrooms because they thought there was a air quotes, a guy going in the girl's bathroom as a, and the, the joke I make, even though it's not funny is, you know, do you have a men's and a women's restroom in your house? Like, is there, are you just the fanciest person in the world that you have a fancy potty for everyone at your house? Cause mm. that's how I live. And I don't know what you think, what you think's about to happen, but it's, it is this constant questioning in my mind of just wondering if I'm going to be okay. And that question alone is enough to make me never want to be outside at all. Hmm. I, I can relate to that. It's even though my life is so much simpler now than I've transitioned, you know, we, we, you talked about earlier about having this gap between one person and the other person, this, this duality of life where you have to cover, mask, hide part of your identity and that double thinking you have to do in every conversation. I've exchanged that simplicity of thinking, that simplicity of life for another complication where I'm always got one eye, one ear on that threat. You know, maybe, maybe as humans, we've always had this fight, flight or freeze part of our bodies. That's always sometimes that adrenaline's kicking in that hyper awareness to threat is now there, which inherently causes our stress levels to rise means we're probably doing damage to our health by being in that constant state of anxiety. But I, I, to a certain extent, I don't feel the the threat of violence or the threat of being arrested. I'm more worried about a flashpoint, someone screaming or going, pointing the finger or making a big deal of it. So I try to minimize myself, try to sneak in, sneak out without looking sneaky, if that makes sense. You, know, you don't mm-hmm. want to appear shifty by, by, by being too careful, do you? So you've got to smile, you've got to interact, you've got to, you've got to sort of be the person who they're expecting you to be in the bathroom. So that must be really complex as someone who you have a deep voice. You, you've been on T for a while, testosterone for a while. So you, 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 you don't have your, your birth voice anymore. So you must, that must be really hyper aware because you, you've got to, you've got to a blend in in a female restroom. Yet you don't present in a very i hope you don't mind me saying so you don't look very feminine which i hope is a compliment yeah, thank you right? like, I that's a compliment. to me that yeah. that's how i like to live my life this is the first time in yeah. my entire life i've looked in the mirror and not hated the person on the other side yeah and i also was socialized as a female for my entire life which means mm. i was taught to not make too much noise to be pleasant, to be kind, to be gentle and loving and all of these things. And it's 
fascinating to wander the expectations of others based on how they see me. And I never once realized it until this period of my life. So when I had the long curly hair and everything, I fit right in. I got it. I played the part. They got me. No one could spot me, you know? Then the next phase of my life, I cut my hair off and, and people started, but I still had a very high pitched voice, big smile. My face looked different. There are a million different dimensions, right? And when I started my transition, what was fascinating to me is when I pass, when I mm. pass mail, people treat me differently. I remember the first time it happened while I was traveling in fan life. So like you mentioned, I, in December, and this is something I'm open about, I, I've been on testosterone for two years as of December. And the first time I passed was when I was in van life. And I remember because people were being so nice to me. And I was like, why are people being so helpful? I'm talking like, it was like the seas parted when I walked down things and, and people are holding doors and I, and then they were like, thanks, sir. And I realized it was white male privilege I was experiencing for the first time in my life. Mm. And so I think there's just this complicated, all these complicated perceptions that play into it too, of gender and socialization. And then when you experience it, what the other side has and, and, and the realization when they realize that you're not what they thought you were and what happens to someone's brains when their expectations get rattled, right? There's just so many pieces. <laughs> and it, it even without knowing what's happening in their mind exactly, it's always happening in my mind. Mm. This whole social contract of gender and our gender roles, how we behave to each other, is so complex. And it, the hardest bit I found transitioning myself was having to unlearn, as you mentioned, having to unlearn all these things you've been given, the expectations. And it's not like when you're growing up, because when you're growing up, you, you're learning, you're not unlearning, but in this post-transition or during transition, you've got to try and forget all these habits, all these traits you have to relearn. But you think, but why do I have to play this game? Because, well, actually, it's because you want to fit in. You want to be part of society. You want to be accepted as who you are in your head. Therefore, you've got to play the, the social construct agenda in the other way around. Um, and it's it, it can be quite a – I'm going to say the word fuck. It's a mind fuck, isn't it? It, it really does mess with your head. and. Just like you, when you said someone called you sir, it's extremely validating when someone holds the door open or they carry your bag up the stairs or say you first or sorry, madam, didn't mean to butt in in front of you or just something like that. You go, oh, wow, thank you so much. You've seen, you actually seen me. You've seen me, the inside me. And I think, wow, it, it is so magical when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, when, when you said the part about fitting in, I think that's something that I, it's, I have a unique experience with that for a lot of dimensions, but I mentioned I was an army brat when I was a kid. I moved 13 times before I graduated high school. I am a professional fit inner. I, that, that was literally, I had to do that to survive as a kid and so coming out is further complicated by this belief that I have to be liked by everyone and that I have to fit into these environments. And when the truth is like, 
we don't have to belong everywhere, but in the spaces that we choose to belong, like we have to live out loud. And I think that's the hardest part when you, again, no matter who you are, I think we are conditioned not to stand out. We're told to fit in. That's that capitalism benefits off of us believing the same things that everyone else does, but that system hates us. And so it's almost like a rejection of that system to say, I don't have to belong everywhere. I want to belong in spaces where I'm loved mm. and, and embraced and celebrated. Yes. Yeah, celebrated. That's a great word. Embraced and celebrated for who we are, yes. not for who we're not. And that's, that's where the magic happens, isn't it? For not pretending anymore. Right. I, I think the people that I feel the most understood by in my life are the people who acknowledge that I spent my whole life pretending to be something, you know, I will never forget being, I, I couldn't have been more than nine or 10 years old looking in the mirror and saying, I am an ugly girl. <laughs> I, I'm such a cute boy, but I am an ugly girl. And only having that and like being a teenager is hard enough. You know, you add in this layer of like, but I'm not the thing I'm supposed to be. And I don't even look like what I think I'm supposed to look like. And there's just so many layers that if you make it here where you and I are sitting to be able to live out loud, where so many people today, I think because of the people who came before us have the opportunity to live out loud, like we are badass motherfuckers. Like we did not land here by accident. And that's why I will choose to live out loud. That's why I choose to talk about my experience, even though sometimes I have those moments like, this is a little too much. Like I'm still working it out in my brain, but I'm willing to admit that I'm still working it out in my brain because it means that someone else might think, but might know they have permission to actually live. Mm. It's interesting you, t you talk about uh, that puberty and, and trying to come to terms with that that's that you back then i don't know about you but i i found at the age of 49 having another puberty in a different direction was also uh, a tricky experience not just for me but for my wife for people around me i was there in 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 short dresses my boobs out um going clubbing and partying like it was 1999 and i'm like my wife's going hey you're nearly 50 what are you playing at you're not 19 anymore but you kind of you've got to go through that second puberty in the same way you went through the first one to discover who you are again. Who am I? I've got to I've got to break all those rules and rebuild this identity of who I am now. And I, it, does T do that? Does Osborne do that to you? Does it? Go, oh my god! I want to live in a van, <laughs> Joe. Oh I this was not the plan. I know you look at me and you see the masculinity, but seriously, if you asked me two years ago, do you want to go camping? I would laugh in your face. I would laugh in your face. And now I lived outside for like weeks at a time. You know, I I almost think there's. We call it puberty and it does feel like puberty in many of the hormonal ways. But on the other side, it's this rediscovery of what you like without the rules of gender trying to confine and box you in. I hmm. And to like love things that many people see as inherently masculine and to not take any shit about it or to adapt or conform because of your safety and a million other reasons that we adapt to this world. <laughs> 
yeah, I can so relate to that. And you're right. It, it is once you take those constraints off of you and the, and you realize that the world is just full of bullshit and, and it's about forcing you to comply, to fit into the, the government and the structure, you get in line, get in the queue, to control kind of the masses, to behave as they should behave so that people are kind of malleable within society. Once you realize you can change the fundamental identity of who you are, the rules in, in the whole of life are up for grabs. You know, I, I'm not saying I want to be anarchic or, or op- oppose the government or the infrastructure, but I now know I can now see them for what they are. You know, we can use the matrix analysis to film and how we, we, we live in this world of, of control by people and how we can actually sort of step back and go, yeah, I see what this all is now. This is, this is just an invention by, by, by humanity. And I don't have to play that game anymore. The rules aren't real. You know, I'll never forget. I, I think it was a coaching session and I said something and she was just like, is that real? Who made up the rule? And if you can't name them, it's made up. <laughs> you know, and, and I actually can't name any rules, right? Like unless you're reading like a Commonwealth guideline or, you know, the the law, those are made up by someone who will hold you accountable for that. But not many of those guide your joy. Not many of those regulate your dreams, you know, and what feels good to you I, – I was actually just on a presentation and teaching about pronouns and I was explaining that it's like a resonance. Like when you hear a gong go off and it has this note and for some people that's beautiful and for other people, they hate it. And that resonance is what I've discovered in this and that joy has resonance in my life. And and when I hit those spots, I can feel that vibration of goodness And for so long, I just went off of everyone else's roadmap. Like, that sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. And for the first time in my life, I've been like, no, no, hell no. I will not wear that dress to your wedding. And I'm going to live like this. And yes, many of many people before I, before I set my own boundaries, yes, I would wear dresses as, and be people's bridesmaids, long flowy purple dress. That's all I'm going to say. Like, uh, yeah, we, we say yes. We just say yes because of some rules, and then we're like, "Wait, wait yeah. a minute." Expectations. It's uh, you know, I, I left school. I joined. I was. I joined our, the Royal Air Force in the UK. I, I did that for a few years. I had to earn money. I had to have a combination. I had, then I then I wanted to get married. Then I wanted to have children. And I had to pay for the house, pay for the children, pay for school, pay for college, pay for everything else. And suddenly you're in this conveyor belt. And you think, "How did I get here? I'm not. I'm not unhappy." And I never, I never, I would never say my life was unhappy, but I didn't know I could be happier. That I was missing something. I didn't realize what that, as you put it, the gap was between where I was and where I had to be or needed to be. And yeah. it's yeah, really interesting what you say there. And and when you say about this resonance of the, of the right pronouns, it is you know, unsolicited correct gendering is such a validation. And someone says, "Madam, sir," instead of "sir." They say she, they call me love or something like that. All of a sudden, every time I hear it, it's like, oh, wow. And because you're almost paused for the, the bracing of the wrong gender coming out. You're almost like rigid. We're going, you're going to get this wrong. You're going to, oh, you didn't. Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And the, I love that. The resonance, that resonance of it being perfectly for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that allows us space because our fear costs us a lot. You know, Mm. 
being scared constantly, washing your hands and running out or standing in the stall a little too long, waiting for everybody to leave, you know, those minutes, they don't, they seem minute and they are in the big picture of how we live our lives. But the cost is the resonance of fear. Mm. It's the vibration of it. It's the belief that we shouldn't be here and that's not good for us. That's why I love learning from Alok, A-L-O-K. And I will not begin to pronounce their last name because I will butcher it. But I, they start with love. And I think that's most trans people don't get to start from a place of love because we start from the rules. We start from the what everyone told us to be when in truth we should just start from if we truly love, like deeply loved ourselves and knew and could assume safely that every person around us was a good, decent, kind and loving being, how much better our lives would be, how mm. how much better our experience would be simply because we're not constantly trying to make ourselves fit into something that does not leave that lingering good feeling. Mm. You said earlier about in your earlier stages in life, you felt like you needed permission, permission to be queer, permission to be trans, permission to travel, permission to step outside of your box. Mm. And I would maybe even suggest permission to start a business and have a voice. So how did you kind of, challenge that you know limiting belief imposter syndrome whatever you want to call it um that that you needed someone's validation to take a step forward how did you overcome that i will admit probably not in the healthiest ways and i i think it was because i required the permission because i had an attachment to money and being good so For me, you said, you know, I had to get the money to pay for the house, to do the thing, to do the thing, right? I thought all of my dreams relied on me being good at work. And so I wanted to be good more than I wanted to be anything else. And I think what I came to is that being good isn't enough for me, you know, like being good at work, just to be clear, like not just like being good high level, but I mean, like being good at a job is not the life legacy that I want to leave. Like, I don't want to be like, Cat Kibben, best marketer ever. God, I just love the writing. Woo! You know, I want to, I want to actually live a life where I connect with people and, and I feel like I'm part of their life and they're part of mine. And, and th- so I think what it was, was giving myself permission that if something, didn't turn out, if the work didn't turn out, it wasn't because of who I am. It's because the work and who I am are two separate things. And so I think that's what really led me to this place where I was like, it can be an and not an or situation. Mm. It's harder than it sounds. I know, you know, based on the look on your face right now that other people can't see, but I, I know that we all know that feeling of feeling like it's a choice. Mm. There's there's some choice between being who we are and fill in the blank. And mostly it's mm. your dream. And there's a saying, isn't it? Everything you ever desire is on the other side of fear. And it's about being able to take that one step forward, realizing if you step off the edge, it's a it's a curb, not a cliff. And people are there, that people have got your back, people want you to win, people want you to succeed. But until you've taken that step, you don't know the parachute is there 
the support's going to be there. And often what we talk about here is there's no easy way back, is there? Once you've made these kind of, you, you're out and open, you've changed people's perception of you forever and you can't go back in the box. So that's the real bravery step. And I, and I, I hate it when people call me brave because you're not brave at the time. You're scared at the time. You're worried. Everything's going on in your head. It's only when you look back over your shoulder six years later, you go, oh, maybe I was a bit brave or foolish or foolhardy. Yeah. You know, I actually, that reminds me because when I came out as trans, that's the thing that everyone said, oh, you're so brave. You're so brave. And I didn't want to. I, I, so I wrote this post because I went to the doctor for my affirming care and I had had to change providers in because I had gotten insurance, except long story short, I go to my doctor and they prescribed the wrong um, dose. Like, so the needles are different sizes. There's two ways to dose testosterone and the needles are two different sizes. I'll just leave it at that, not to go into a whole medical thing. And they kept giving me needles that were too big. And so I literally would have like been poking my insides. Like I could have ended up with sepsis or something really bad happening to me. And I got so mad, but I also realized that, that like the time to sit around and be mad was a privilege in itself. That there are kids out there who want gender affirming care, who don't have six hours to sit in a Walgreens, who can't argue with a doctor, who don't, and, and, I felt for almost like I had to come out because I was so mad that I needed other people to know that this was not acceptable. And, and now, and everyone's like, like, they're all like, that's so brave and very, and I'm like, no, I was just real mad. (laughs) I was really, really scared. And And I I can care what you're saying about we, we sitting here today, have privilege. You, know, you have what I would appear to say is good mental health, good source of income. Yes, you've got issues. I've got issues. We've all got issues. But you've taken control of your life, and some of that took privilege to do take that control. I took control of my life, and I speak to other trans people today who are struggling, as you say, getting getting on pathways, getting uh, affirmative uh, hormone treatments, uh, accessing surgery, accessing psychological safety and care, changing their ID, having a family that supports us. There's a whole lot of things that I know I'm privileged. It wasn't easy. I, I, you know, I had to work at it, but I, I think through some of my own lived experience of personal identity, I was able to take control of my life in the way that other people may, may, may not be able to. So uh, yeah, I, I certainly acknowledge I have a privilege and, some of it may well be my my historical assigned male at birth privilege that I was socialized. I have a certain personality uh, and maybe that came from my history and I haven't lost that. I, I freely admit that sometimes. So, yeah, it it is a privilege to be able to take control of your life and and change because it's it's so easy for people to say, if you work hard enough, anyone can do anything because that, that's, that's bullshit as well, isn't it? It's not it's not the case. Not everybody has the same starting point. And we've got to acknowledge that. Absolutely. And I, I, I believe that living out loud is paying it forward somehow, paying mm. it forward, paying it back, because I recognize that I could not, you and I could not sit here and have this conversation 20 years ago, not <laughs> even, you know, and that's not multiple lifetimes, you know, that that's one, that's, it's not a whole life even. And I, 
I, now that I'm on the other side of the fear of being out, I recognize the value because even though we can't control all the privilege and, and the things, what we can do is allow a lived experience that at least gives someone access to a story that turned out different. The thing that I did not have the privilege of access for at a very young age is the idea that you can be queer and okay. I learned from the media what it meant to be gay and it meant you would be killed. The first trans person I ever saw on TV was murdered. And they, now there are a lot of other stories told. There are a lot of other inputs. However, if they only get one, I really hope that it's people like us, right? Like that we've, that, that we by exposing the parts of ourselves that we will allow, not over, right? Not, not like using who we are for some kind of marketing pitch. I don't mean it that way, but by at least like opening ourselves up to have conversations like this, by creating platforms where we allow mm-hmm. other trans people to have conversations like this, that truly we're, we're, we're using the privilege for good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I certainly agree with that. And I, I think, I mean, I've often described myself as professionally trans, and I think that's also a privilege. I don't have to pretend I'm not trans. I don't have to hide myself in the in thinking. Maybe when I'm in, in having a coffee, maybe when I'm in the supermarket, in the mall or something like that, or the shopping center, maybe then I don't want to be professionally trans. But in the day job, when I'm engaging with companies and doing my business, it's actually part of my superpower. They're hiring me because I am, not despite who I am. And I, I think also if you don't mind me saying by being out as non-binary using they, them pronouns explicitly on your LinkedIn profile and your email photo and everything else, you're also saying, Hey, I'm, I'm gender non-conforming. I'm trans. I'm, I'm non-binary. So you're not hiding in the shadow either by making that statement. Yeah. You know, I tell people when I do this, when I talk about pronouns and I educate people, you'll laugh because I have this slide and I'll, I'll say, I am not a DEI expert. I'm a human being that lives as a non-binary and trans person in this world. And these are the stories I told the people I love. When the people I love asked me, how do I be better to you? This is what I told them. Because then my colleagues asked me, how do I be better to you? I call it my gay job and my day job. My day job is job postings. And I believe that they do add up to the same things. Both of every bit of work I do is because I want to help people imagine a new life. And whether that's a life in which they have a new job or they can be who they are, those are both worthy of Mm. of the time and the work. And, and also because I know that education and me living out loud has consequences on bottom lines as well on actual people's lives on I, I'm getting a little choked up because I'm thinking about this statistic that I always talk about. So uh, the Trevor Project did some research and they say that every 45 seconds, a kid between the ages of 13 and 23, who's part of the LGBT community, attempts suicide. And the thing that we don't talk enough about when we say attempts suicide is the questions they are asking themselves. And the questions they're asking themselves is, does it matter if I'm here who would miss me? No, who would care? And that's the hardest yeah. question anyone can ask. 
And that's the fundamental difference between being lonely and being alone and how you see yourself, isn't it? You, you've, if you believe you have no sense of belonging in anything, no one cares for you. What if I, if I'm never, no longer here, no one will care. And that, that is fundamentally, I think the same story that most people who maybe survive an attempt would say. And often if you can just say, I care, let's talk, you matter. That is often what people want to hear, isn't it? That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the sad thing. I, I've had three, three people in my life who've taken their own life. And I, d- two of them, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. Why did they think no one cared? Cause, or their, their life was, wasn't worth anything. And I find it so hard because they were loved and, uh, and they're deeply missed. They're deeply missed. Um, my brother took his life accidentally, I think, when he was 18. Misadventure. He, uh, he suffocated on butane in a, in a, in a bin liner. So I, I, I truly believe it was an accident. I don't believe he intended to, uh, to take his life. I think he just fell asleep, passed out and it was too late. He couldn't stop it. But, uh, yeah, to, you can never ask that question once they're gone. Can you? Why or what? especially when there's no note or no inclination. So, yeah, no, I, I feel for what you just said there. And it's, yeah, it's the work that Travel Project does is amazing. And uh, I think all LGBTQ charities around the world really do, really do a valuable and, and worthwhile cause trying to protect people and give people hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't, I just, Hope is so fleeting in this world. Mm. It is, I think it's something that we all are craving even more so over the last two years than we ever have. And I think it's more important than ever that it feels cliche to say, but I truly believe that my priority if in my living is that I can help other people figure out how we rely on each other because when you peel back all the layers, when you, you can put whatever topic you want on top, but the world gets to be a better place when we care a little bit more. Mm. It does. It does. Let's uh, talk about your, your day job. We've, we've talked extensively about both of our gay jobs. Um, <laughs> so t- talk to me about your, your the job posting. Cause I, I think, I think we, we did a webinar together. We've talked about this before. So I'd really like to just hear your perspective on where, businesses make mistakes or where people aren't thinking about enough about their recruitment marketing is effectively what we talk about here, their recruitment marketing, their, their, their offer. So where do people go wrong? Well, I think a lot of people say, I want to stand out. I want to be best in class. That's a signature phrase for every business, but they don't actually do the thing. Uh, we want to be an inclusive organization, but the action behind it, the work isn't happening. And so many moons ago, I was a employer brand copywriter and I realized that when it comes to hiring, there are just a million variables we don't control, but the one we can is how we ask, how we talk to people, how we describe work. And that if we create more openness and clarity around the work itself, we can actually create better access that we can help someone have a better life. Because if you hate your job, 
you hate everything. There, there's very little going on in your life that's right if you specifically hate where you have to sit for 40 or more hours every single week, right? And so I spent the last five, in the same way that that pronoun presentation was created by stories and experiences with others. I also spent that time writing job postings and experiencing it with others. And truly the best way to stand out was just by telling the truth. And I was like, telling the truth is what I do. But like I can do this. And that's what I, that's what I've been doing is teaching people how to tell the truth in a way that's actually universal instead of just doing following rules that were completely made up. I'm realizing how much being who I am applies to my work every day as I'm explaining all of this, but truly it's like telling the truth and not following yeah. the rules is actually creating better outcomes for companies around the world. Yeah. I don't need to worry about what someone else is thinking about me. I can think how I think is right. And I can say that without looking over my shoulder. I, okay. I, of course I care if people like what I say, but I'm not worried about my job. I'm not worried about people not liking me because there are plenty of people who do like me, so it's not a problem. Um, I, I work with a lot of organizations and, you know, as you know, I work in kind of the TA recruitment space as well around the DNI area. The biggest, I constantly hear organizations say, well, it's so hard to find a black lawyer. It's so hard to find women in STEM. It's so hard to find people. And I'm thinking, you're just asking the wrong questions. You're, you're, you're fishing in the wrong ponds. You're not, you're not marketing because I, I, there's one company that said, it's so difficult to find a black lawyer these days in this specialty field. I said, well, if you were a black owned firm specializing in this field, I'm sure you know where to find black lawyers who specialize in this work. So it's kind of like a football analogy. If you're not winning your games, change the manager, change the way you're doing things. If you keep doing the same things with the same people, you're going to get the same responses. So how do you tackle your recruitment marketing and the job postings? to break those kind of myths and, 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 and the way we've done things all the time. So what I found is that they're actually using psychological tactics that are sending these people running. So we need to understand the like socialization of people, right? So there's a very small percentage of this world that's told they can do anything they want and shown over and over that they can do whatever they want and they can be successful for the rest of us. We have something in our head that says, well, maybe that's not me. And what I found is that there were tactics that everyone uses that sends people running and it triggers something deep inside of us. Let me give two examples. So years of experience, everyone uses years of experience. I need 15 years, but all you're saying is I want someone 15 years older because we know that spending time doing the exact same job, we don't do the same work. We're both consultants. We do wildly different work, but we both have two years of consulting experience. It doesn't work. It's inherently ageist. And it's the only way that most compensation teams know how to dis dis like distribute people. And they'll be like, I want, I want no experience. What you're saying is I want someone young. It's cues. And you don't need to say I want someone young. I can read between the lines. That's what I mean by the psychological piece. Here's the part that's really interesting is the requirements list, right? So when that list exceeds one third visually of a page, we actually see fewer women apply by default. Even if they have the exact same experience as the man sitting next to them, fewer women will click apply on that job because they have the perception they could not possibly qualify. 
And so what we've been able to do and what the work that I'm really proud of is that everything we do is based in the DEI lens in that we actually consider the psychological tactics to create the outcomes instead of just saying like, don't say he, she, right? Like that's the obvious crap. That's the, like I read a job post today that said he or she will like we, it has to go beyond that. And so what we're doing is really teaching people how to describe experiences because experiences are universal skills are not. And potential and learning ability, flexibility, adaptability. And I, I, I beat my head against the wall sometimes. It's not about time served. It's not about what you've done for somebody else. It's about what could you do and what can you do for me in yes. the future? Have you done it before? If you've done this, you'd probably be qualified for this job. Honestly, if most job postings were just written that way, if you've done this before, you should apply to this job. And a short list, we would have a better workforce. We would have a better applicant pool. But what we then rule out is people who could do that job, From they've got transferable skills. They've done a similar job, but not that job. So we're denying them the opportunity by saying, this is the type of person we want, the type of skills we want. We don't need to have, you don't need to have been this person in this company before, provided we, we believe in your ability to, to, to onboard and, and pick it up because every company is different, isn't it? You know, the first three months, you're learning about the rule set, you're learning about the people, you're learning about uh, your processes and all the kind of the language. If you could learn that, you can learn the job if you've got the aptitude and, and, and willingness to get stuck into it. Yep. One of the easiest ways to remove bias is to create contrast, right? So, mm. for example, um, it's, uh, well, they worked at a startup. And I'll ask, what does someone who worked at a startup know that someone who never worked at a startup could not possibly know? And that's the truth. And that contrast, yeah. I said, my superpower is asking questions, right? Mm. I think that contrast helps someone actually understand what they're looking for and yeah. say it more clearly because a lot of people, you know, the internet became popular and we thought we could just copy and paste our way to, to uh, transparency, honesty, and speed. And that's just not how things work. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to read the psychological cues you gave there. Worked in a startup. So working in the chaotic environment, um, uncertain future, um, poor or inconsistent management uh, no idea what you're going to be doing day in day out um you're, the goalposts change frequently um you're expected to work long hours and give all you've got with no potential in the future so is that what we're saying working in a startup means <laughs> yeah you don't say you worked at a startup you say you've worked in an environment where deadlines and priorities changed constantly yeah you know when to ask questions and how to change direction quickly. Mm. Yeah. That gets you the right person because that person, when you hear that, you go, yes or no. Yes, I want this. No, I don't. And I'd rather be honest. I'd rather tell you the truth and be like, no, I don't want this. than to tell you some lie or make up some buzzwords and create a little bingo card for you that you apply to so that I can tell you in six weeks. No. Mm. <laughs> No. I think honesty, honesty is really powerful when you're looking to recruit. And I think sometimes I, I speak again, I speak to the companies and they say, well, we're very poor at female representation, senior leadership on the board. How do we recruit people into that position? I said, well, be honest, tell people we're not, we, we, our track record is poor, but mm-hmm. however, we are committed to change. 
And we're looking for people who are willing to come into this environment knowing that we've got a poor track record and help us change and develop. And that way you, you're going to attract people who have some resilience, who have some tenacity to get stuck in. And you're not mis-selling the challenge they're going to face. So I think really, really important to do that. Yeah. Well, and I, even that, it's like. You're, you've just come up as offline. I don't know if, if you've, it says offline to you. It did. And then it said you're back. Okay, cool. So we'll pick that up later. So we'll carry uh, on and see what happens. Uh, it's probably all these airplanes. Um, no, I, and even that, right. So I would probably respond. Uh, we're looking for someone who's worked in a male dominated environment and driven change in this, this, or this, you know, start to really give that context because at the end of a job posting, someone should be able to say, yes, I've done this. And yes, I want to do it again. Or no, I haven't. No, I don't want to. And if there's an education gap that we can fill as you have to learn this again, just telling the truth. Nine times out of 10, if somebody shows me a job posting and says, is this good or not? I say, I don't know, because I don't know if it's telling the truth. If you just tell the truth, it's better than most people's. Yeah, because it is kind of like demo mode, isn't it? On on one of these video games, you know, not actual game footage. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, but both sides are trying to bluff and bluster their way to either be hired or hire. We're trying to create this sort of like false yeah, it's sales and marketing, but both parties are trying to sell themselves to the other and hope they accept. But we cannot create equitable workplaces if we never identify what we need. I truly believe the more I do this, the more I see that understanding minimum requirements and what it takes to drive success is a leadership skill. And you cannot be successful as a leader if you cannot do those two things. I agree. I, and I think that inclusive leadership and investing in our leadership tier is, is one of the best investments organizations can make. Get that right. Get the right people in the backbone of the business. Then you can create great teams and, and, and nurture great culture. I think if we, if we keep hiring people who haven't got, who haven't invested in leadership training, empathy, EQ, cultural intelligence, humility, vulnerability, all the kind of skills we know, cognizance bias, all these kind of things. If we don't invest in, in people to do that, then our teams will never or never thrive, in my opinion. Living out loud is a consequence of a great condition. It's mm. not bravery. It's knowing that you can be safe. And that's, I think, what you just described as the education that it takes for a leader to be a safe, positive leader for their team. Yeah. They're to support the team, not to lead the team as such, but to be to, to get the best out of the people that they are looking after or encouraging, nurturing. To, to deliver more, to deliver better. Yeah, for sure. I can't believe we've been yakking away for almost an hour now. And it's been absolutely fascinating. I'm sure, one day we will meet somewhere, somewhere. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. So Kat, tell us, tell the audience how they get a hold of you. Again, a bit more detail about the type of customers you work with or, or the type of business you're looking for. Be really interested to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, my full name is Katrina and I'm the only Katrina Kibben in the world. So if you spell my name right, you will find me. Uh, if you spell my name wrong, you will find a Navy priestess and you'll know you're in the wrong place because we don't look alike. 
Uh, and what I do, what my day job is, is that I teach people how to write better job postings. And so if you have that on your list as I want to overhaul my job postings or you're looking for training options that make your recruiters better facilitators of a great hire, you should call us. So my company is called Three Ears Media. Three, like the number all spelled out, ears like the ones on your head, and you know how to spell media. Threearsmedia.com is my company, and it's named after two dogs with four ears, and I'll tell you the story if you book a call. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked you that at the beginning, should I, so I could get the story out of it. No, that's <laughs> intriguing, and I, I hope our, our listeners uh, make contact and, and, and find the story about the three ears. So, yeah, that's no, really good. Um, so LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn, you, you're welcome, <coughs> excuse me, you're welcoming people to connect with you on there, say hello, uh, reach out. Yes. And of course, and your website as well. Instagram if you want the van life, that's the, the pictures yes. that you can see. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the van life. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating story and I'm quite proud to have been following your journey for the last, uh, was it 12, 18 months since you've been on the road? Um, yeah, um, experiencing some of the highs and lows and some of the reality of that with you, it's, it's, it's been really fascinating. So Kat, thank you. It's been awesome. Um, let me just, uh, say goodbye to our listeners and, uh, wrap up the show. So where are we now? Where's my show notes gone? Here we go. I'm, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all at all over the place. So a huge thank you to Kat firstly, and a huge thank you to you, the listeners for tuning in. And getting to the end, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the whole podcast. Please do subscribe. Uh, please subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends and colleagues, share the love, share the link. I have a number of other amazing, can there be any more amazing guests? I don't know, but we'll try. I have a number of more amazing guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be inspired by over the next few weeks, months, and hopefully years. And also, if you'd like to be a guest, I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, and also, I'd love any feedback and suggestions to joe.lockwood, cchangehappen.co.uk. Let me know if you like the show. Let me know if you, you hate it. Let me know how I can improve it. All feedback is welcome. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.